Listen, I get it. You like saving in Bitcoin. But check this out. You can actually complement your HODL position by investing in Bitcoin startups. If you want additional upside and enjoy learning about angel investing, you should check out Lightning Ventures. Lightning Ventures is a great way to stack real equity in Bitcoin-only companies. They've invested in businesses you've heard about on this show, including Azteco, CrowdHealth, and Swan Bitcoin. And Lightning Ventures makes it easy to get started in the world of early stage investing. The minimum investment is only $1,000 per deal, and you only invest in the deals that make sense to you. So if you want to get a behind the scenes look at the startups you know and love, if you want a chance to support their growth, and if you want another opportunity to profit as the Bitcoin ecosystem develops, check out the 60 second application in the show notes to get started today in building a world that runs on better money. You're earning today, maybe thousands of sats a day, tomorrow, maybe 10,000, maybe a hundred thousand. Well, at what point does this start to become meaningful? for someone's life. And is this gonna become a, like a micro gig economy? We have the gig economy, right? We got Uber drivers and all that, uh, Airbnb. Are we gonna have a micro gig economy built on Lightning? Welcome to the Business Bitcoinization Show, the show dedicated to helping you enrich your life and grow your business with Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth. I'm your host, Josh Friedemann, and today's episode will actually be a little different than usual. Last week, I went to Austin, Texas for the Austin Bitcoin Club's monthly meeting. They were talking about the value-for-value economy. It sounded like something relevant to this show, and it gave me an opportunity to get down to Austin and meet a lot of the people that I've gotten to know in recent months from doing this show. So instead of an interview, I'll be sharing a good portion of the panel that they had that highlights what three different founders are doing connected to the value for value economy. If the concept is new to you, you'll get a better idea of what it is and how it's beginning to change how some people are doing business. So the panel was moderated by Kevin Rook, and the three guests were Keon Kusha of Stacker News, Lyle Pratt of Vita, who actually shared on this podcast in episode eight, and Justin Resvani of Zion. If you like what you hear and you want to make sure that you can catch the entire event, I'm linking it in the show notes below. You'll be able to catch the rest of the panel and a presentation on how value for value podcasting works. Now, value for value is not something that's limited to podcasting, but people are beginning to incorporate it into the world of podcasts. In fact, if you want to learn a little bit more about value for value podcasting, you can actually test the waters for yourself by downloading an app called Fountain. That's going to be in the show notes as well. It's free to sign up and you can listen to any podcast that you listen to right now on your preferred app. But what's different is the value for value element. You have the option to support your favorite podcast by streaming fractions of a penny in Bitcoin by the minute or by sending small amounts of Bitcoin called boosts every time you get value from something that's shared. For example, people have streamed this show for a couple of Satoshis per minute, which is equal to just a few pennies per episode, or just recently someone shared a boost for a particular episode, and the amount of Bitcoin they sent was between 4 and $5. It's a really easy way to let creators know what you like in a way that they'll notice, especially if you send those boosts. You can include a message with that boost. But it's not just a way of paying other podcast creators. On Fountain, if you create clips of different podcasts you listen to, every time someone finds value in the clip that you created and they like that clip, you get a small amount of Bitcoin as well. So if you're interested, check it out. Let me know what you think. Once again, the Fountain app link is down below. 
Finally, this whole episode is a meetup spotlight for the Austin Bitcoin Club, and I can personally endorse the great work that they're doing out there. Michael Atwood, who's the founder of OSHA, you've heard of him before probably. He's the organizer, and if you're ever in Austin, it's worth catching either their monthly meetup where you're going to hear founders or other big names in the Bitcoin space, or one of their many weekly breakfasts or dinners. You can find out more at austinbitcoinclub.com or on Twitter at austinbtcclub. Now, we're going to get to that panel right after this. Business owners, unlock the benefits Bitcoin has to offer your business with the Bitcoin for Business Quick Start Guide. This 27-page guide highlights the six ways you can grow your business with Bitcoin. Check it out in the show notes. Whenever we decided we were going to do a uh, value for value panel, one of the first people I thought of was Kevin Rook. He's been really covering this. He has a podcast of his own, The Kevin Rook Show, right? And he's been just covering all this, talking to a bunch of founders, doing some really cool stuff. In particular, it does seem to be more like value for value focused. He came all the way here from Toronto. Um, so big like round of applause for that. He's here for this. So thank you so much. Uh, and now, you know, I'm just going to back off. I'm going to turn it over to Kevin. Uh, by the way, we're streaming this live tonight on a platform called Vita. So like we can also stream things in podcasting uh, 2.0, you can also stream video and people can check out the video and pay Bitcoin per or you know per message that they send to a platform. Uh, and just kind of wanted to preface for that before we get into some of the panels. So I'm handing it over. Thanks, Kevin. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Uh, as as uh, Michael alluded to, I've been very excited about lightning and value-for-value value payments for a little while. How about we start this off with uh, an introduction from you three, and maybe you can share a little bit about your apps that you guys are building and exactly what they do and why you've decided to integrate earning Bitcoin value-for-value value into your business. Okay. Uh, I'm Keon. I, I'm building Stacker News which is like Reddit, only your karma is Bitcoin. Uh, we also do this thing, yeah. Uh, and then uh, we also do this thing where, depending on how like, good of a user you are, we take any money we earn and we pay you daily uh, for that. And then there's like, some other things in there, like Sybil fees and stuff, but we'll get into that, I assume, later. Hi, uh, I'm Lyle. Uh, I'm building a startup called Vita. You know, it lets you pay people for their time. And sometimes those, that time is messages that you send to them. Sometimes it's phone, uh, audio, or video calls, and, or live streams. So, I mean, that's the basics. My name is Justin. I'm the founder of a company called Zion. Uh, we're building a social network on top of Bitcoin's Lightning Network. Awesome. So let's start off, Justin, with a discussion about why we need Bitcoin payments on the internet. What is broken about the internet today? And how does Bitcoin, how do we fix that? We'll start with you and then we'll move through everyone. I think if you look at how money moves from creators and fans, typically online, on most platforms. So if you look at the one that we think is the best direct support platform out there with Patreon, typically there's five or six companies that are in between a Patreon transaction and from the fan to the creator from the credit card, the credit card company, the credit card hosting company, um, the website in which the app is on, and then finally the bank, and then finally the creator. So I think the opportunity with native money like Bitcoin 
It allows a transaction to directly go to the creator, and it also allows for instant settlement. We have a system now that allows for a finite instant um, settlement system in a bearer asset, which is Bitcoin. So I think that's just an interesting new paradigm for people to be able to pay the people that they care about the most. And it can bifurcate a lot of the third-party advertising needed on these centralized platforms. Lyle, I've used uh, Avita a little bit, and uh, I've got some messages, and we've done calls paid in Bitcoin. Why is Bitcoin an important component there? Why can't we just use free messaging? Yeah, I, I think it, a lot of it comes down to the, the final settlement nature of it. Um, as Justin was saying, when, when somebody has to hold the money for some period of time to make sure that it wasn't fraudulent, it wasn't a stolen credit card, it wasn't you know any of those things, then you're, you're greatly restricted in what you can build in a value-for-value value product. Um, you just make it generally worse. <laughs> you know. So Bitcoin and its instant settlement is uh, pretty much the game changer. Now, all three apps give you the ability to earn Bitcoin. Uh, but if you're earning Bitcoin, that also means, on the other side, someone's spending Bitcoin. How do you get over that hurdle? How do you, how do you incentivize people to start spending Bitcoin to give someone the ability to earn? Because that seems like, it in, especially in the Bitcoin community, it's, it's a hard sell. You know, we're taught you want to hold on to Bitcoin forever. You never want to sell it. So how do you build up a, an app that allows people to earn Bitcoin when it requires someone on the other end to either sell Bitcoin or, or sell fiat? One, one perspective I have is that there's a potential new paradigm for this thing I'm calling like omnidirectional payments. So right now, the typical proxy we have is that you have this model where you are paying a creator, but payments can't move in the other direction. So one of the things that we want to do is that every single piece of content is an active opportunity for a payment. So that means a creator does a post, you reply to it with your best feeling of how this helped you and changed your life. Someone can pay you for that response. So now your inputs that potentially are valuable on this network within this creator's community is also a potential opportunity for a payment. So you can actually earn for being a good person or giving some advice to somebody else or giving someone else some feedback. It's not just a single direction with the payment. It's any direction a creator can be paid and everyone becomes a creator. So there's this incentive that like being a good person or giving some great insight allows you to be compensated as well. And I think that's the interesting paradigm. When you build a social and digital product on top of a digital monetary layer, when you build things on money, you can expand the possibilities of the actual system. One thing I want to understand more about, though, is you know, we have this tool now that allows anyone to send money anywhere in the world at light speed. And we can do a lot of things with that. And we're starting to see a proliferation of apps being built in the Lightning ecosystem. How do we determine what stuff on the internet should be paid for and what stuff should remain free? Because you know, it would be a nightmare of an internet if every single transaction, every single second you, you spent time watching something cost money. So there's, there's got to be a line somewhere of like what should be paid for and what should be free. What are you guys' thoughts on that? I mean, I think, first of all, the, the market should decide ultimately. So there has to be experimentation with entrepreneurs trying different models and see what fails. And we learn from what fails and move forward. Um, so I think it also should be up to the creators. One of the things that 
we've approached in our design architecture is that the creator can decide if they want an individual post to be a paid post or they just want it to be as something that they want their community to see. But they decide that and they proxy that because they know their audience better than anyone. Influencers or creators know their audiences better than everyone. So I think, number one, the market must decide and then let the people that are creating all the content on the internet decide how they want content to be paid for or not to be. That's my perspective on it. Do you guys have any other thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I think um, the market's gonna make that decision and um, you know, we can't presume to uh, <laughs> look into the future and perfectly predict what consumers are gonna wanna do, but you know, our job as product creators is to lower the barriers as much as possible, give people as much of an opp opportunity to, to earn Bitcoin as possible, give people as much of an opportunity to get exposure to Bitcoin as possible, and you know, go where the, the energy is, go where the users are. Mm. Do you think earning Bitcoin is a gateway to buying Bitcoin? Do you think this is gonna be a trend that we see in the next you know, decade or so where if Bitcoin gets really expensive, people say, I don't wanna buy it, it's too expensive, I'll earn it first, I'll hold on to it, I'll watch the balance grow, and then I'll go, oh yeah, you know what, I might buy some. I personally think that's already happening. I mean, we've seen a, a lot of products be successful, like Fold is a good example. Um, you know, you're, you're earning Bitcoin every time you spend your dollars, and that's really appealing. Bitcoin as a reward, as something, you know, that you're receiving is, is really, really appealing. Now, you know, spending 20 or 30 grand, you know, at once is not so appealing for some. But um, I think we're just seeing the beginning of incentive systems built around Bitcoin being built into products and services. And Keon and I were just talking about that. I mean, it's, yeah. we're, we're just at the very tip. Keon, what are your thoughts? Um, I don't know, I mean, I've had, I, most, I'm, I mostly just end up relaying what users say, but like, I had a user say, can you imagine uh, how incredible it'll be later when my Stacker News balance is worth like thousands of dollars? Like, like 10 years from now, I mean, right now it doesn't seem like I'm earning much. I'm earning like 100,000 sats or 100,000 sats on Stacker News. Doesn't seem like much, but uh, imagine like five years from now, there's a couple of halvings or whatever, and uh, I've, um, I've inc I, that's, that's increased in value. Um, and uh, yeah, I could, I, could, I could also see that, I mean, I have like a lot of the users on Stacker News, it's their first time using Lightning. Some of them are even new to Bitcoin. So I definitely see it as like there, some people don't use new technology unless it has utility before maybe they see it as like, you know, a monetary good. And uh, I think applications like ours can, can probably provide um, like insight into the utility of Bitcoin. Do you think we get to a point where there are people who make full-time incomes using some of these value for value apps? Like I know right now you can, you can earn sats uh, by posting on Stacker News, right? Like, you know, you're earning today maybe thousands of sats a day. Um, tomorrow, maybe 10,000, maybe 100,000. Well, at what point does this start to become meaningful for someone's life? And is this gonna become a, like a micro gig economy? We have the gig economy, right? We got Uber drivers and all that, uh, Airbnb. Are we gonna have a micro gig economy built on Lightning? I think, I think what we'll see the emergence of because of these models is the professional consumer of content. So you'll be someone that is a professional at taking content that you consume, 
doing edits, re-edits, resharing, sharing some advice, and now you become this professional curator that's actually being paid for. Like content's being paid for. I think that's an emergence of the next layer of the creator economy. The people that follow the creators can now be compensated for the things that they're doing. Because effectively what Bitcoin does, and Lightning in particular, is it makes money very liquid. It allows us to move money in this like very like fluid way between people at a very quick speed. And it's a new paradigm we haven't really figured out how to, how to use it yet. And then the, the other ultimate thing is, I mean, look at the internet right now. There, like if you have a billion dollar business and they're just using credit cards and it's an inefficient system, that 100% should be built on Bitcoin, right? Like a, a version of that should be built on Bitcoin because it's better, faster, and it's cheaper. Lyle, if, uh, if someone's going to be making a full-time income on Vita, what are they going to be, what are they going to be using Vita for? What will their job be? I mean, it's, it's multiple things. You know, you, you, we're going to have creators on Vita. We're going to have professionals on Vita. I mean, I can't predict all of the types of people that are going to monetize their time, their attention on, on the platform. Uh, I, I'm specifically very interested in, you know, using Bitcoin in the way that, that Justin and Kian are talking about. Whereas where it creates new incentives to use products and promote products and to, to participate in a community. So, I mean, you, you asked me if I think that people will be earning full-time incomes, you know, on Bitcoin using value-for-value value products. I mean, I, I absolutely do. That's why I'm building the product I'm building. I mean, you know, uh, ultimately, if you have a product, if you have a service, if you have a good that somebody wants and you're only accepting Bitcoin in exchange for that product, but everybody wants it, I mean, they will pay you. You know, there, there, are, there are ways to convert their dollars into Bitcoin. And so it's about, it's really about creating products that people want to use. And Vita is about giving you the tools to put yourself out there in ways that anyone can consume. Meet Linkster, your premier Bitcoin-focused advisor. Linkster caters to businesses, institutions, family offices, and high-net-worth individuals. They merge your unique financial goals and needs with Linkster's Bitcoin expertise to craft your own sustainable plan to preserve and grow the value of your hard-earned profits and retained earnings. At Linkster, it's not just advice. It's tailored execution. Connect directly with the founder by visiting Linkster.com. That's L-Y-N-C-S-T-E-R. Dot com. Linkster, secure your future with Bitcoin. Today's episode of Business Bitcoinization is proudly brought to you by Vellus Commerce, where the future of business technology meets Bitcoin. As we journey through the era of Bitcoin and its transformational impact on businesses, there's one name that stands out. Vellus Commerce. Whether you're looking to build a cutting-edge website, a seamless mobile app, or custom software, Vellus is your go-to team. They've been diving deep into the world of Bitcoin since 2014, making them one of the most experienced groups for integrating Bitcoin and Lightning payments into a variety of digital platforms. But here's what truly sets them apart. Vellus Commerce doesn't just build. They bring a wealth of knowledge to ensure your project success from day one. Their team understands the nuances of Bitcoin, ensuring that your business stays ahead of the curve. And for all business Bitcoinization listeners out there, Vellus Commerce is offering a free consultation to kickstart your project the right way. So if you're ready to future-proof your business in the coming age of hyper-Bitcoinization, head over to VellusCommerce.com or reach out on Twitter at Vellus Commerce. Let's make sure your business thrives in the Bitcoin era. I want to talk about the trade-offs between earning 
and the experience of using an application. Because I get the sense that we have so many apps now that are allowing people to earn for the first time in the Lightning space. Um, I start to wonder, do we, do we enter a race to see like which app can get the users paid the most? And is, that, is it gonna be like users showing up and say, oh, this app's gonna pay me 10 sats. Well, this app's gonna pay me 20. This one's gonna pay me 50. Um, at some point you think though, the user experience and the fun of the app has to factor in as well. How do you balance those two and make sure that what you're building can help reward creators, but also is fun and people, people would be there even if the money wasn't a, a major role in their lives? Uh, that, I mean, that's a difficult question to answer, but I really like how it's not a race to the bottom, it's like a race to the top. Like, you are spending the most on your users. Uh, I think that's kind of, kind of insightful. Um, yeah, I think, I think you, do, you do have to create a valuable enough user experience that uh, users would be there anyway. Um, this is like one of my problems, or one of my concerns with paying users, is are we, are we creating like poor user experiences and then making up for it by paying our users? Um, I think you really have to do both. Otherwise, I, I think someone will come along and do both. So, how do you how do you figure out whether or not you are, you know, uh, subsidizing a bad experience with with money? What are your What are your ways of determining whether or not you're doing that? How much How much you're spending? <laughs> how, much, how much are you spending for how much people are actually using this thing? Spending unsustainably? Yeah. Like what's like. I mean, we're all trying to make businesses, which means we're all trying to make some money. And is there more money going in than coming out? Right. It's like, I think that's ultimately, at least that's how I hope to build companies. Yeah. There's like shitcoin VCs throwing money at people just to go figure out how to make no money all the time. So I don't know. I built very profitable businesses. That's all I know how to do for the past 12 years. And how do you design the user experience at Zion to make sure that people are first enjoying the app and then also earning. It's, it's actually an interesting question because when we launched, we told the market, we're like, hey, you want to join Zion? You're going to pay us every month to be on this app. It was good for us because we made a lot of cash, but it was one of those things that we said, if you want to use this, you got to run your own node, you have to have your own channel, all these complexities, large barrier to entry. But we said, you got to pay for it. And it was just an experiment. I didn't know. I was, I was running it on my own and it was my own money. And people actually bought into the model. They said, hey, this is something we want to, we want to support because we believe in censorship resistant, we believe in sovereignty, um, we're st and, and we're growing, we're just, we're at a place where we're gonna figure out is, is this how to build an app with scale? But I, but I do believe that users should pay for their experience. I don't think, like nothing's free in this world and if you think it is, you're lying to yourself and your kids. Um, nothing's free. So you have to understand the base fundamentals of how these businesses work. And so we just wanted to build new fundamentals and say, hey, the users can actually pay for something and see if they grow some value from it. But it's still a test. By no means, like, we don't have millions of people using this thing, and we don't know yet. Right. I think, I think all three apps, you guys are all going through updates and releases, and, and you're, you're rebuilding the product. Um, Lyle, can you start talking about um, exactly, you know, what are the barriers to adoption today, and what are you trying to overcome as you think about innovating on, on the concept of Vita? Yeah, I mean, you know, ultimately I want anyone to be able to, to use Vita, you know, <laughs> literally anyone. And the biggest issue is, is onboarding, you know, people to be able to fund a wallet. I mean, 
you know, that's that's the elephant in the room. It's still a problem. Uh, you know, it's a it's an ongoing effort, you know, by tens or hundreds of, of companies, you know, building different products that are going to be one piece of the puzzle that fits into that. Um, you know, but it's a it's a long term goal and a long term problem, and you know, we're going to all tackle it day by day. But you know, ultimately, you build products for people to use them. And, you know, if you're building a company and the only reason people are using it is because you're giving them money, well, you're not going to have a company very long, you know. Um, so if you want to build for the long term, you have to make sure that, you know, the incentives of all the participants in the business, including the customers, you know, are aligned. Kian, what are you seeing in terms of barriers limiting adoption today at Stack News? I don't think I think about it as much as these guys do. Um, I think I, I think about mostly if I can't build a product that Bitcoiners love, then I using Bitcoin, then I probably can't build a product that other people will love. And so I'm mostly concerned around building a product that Bitcoiners love first, and then I think I'm going to move on to thinking about uh, like the onboarding piece. But I kind I tend to really. Um, like the horizon for me is like very short. I think these guys are much more experienced business people, so perhaps I'm doing something wrong. But uh, like, like, but I, I'm like, I'm like, you know, six months away. That's what I think about. I don't, I, and uh, yeah. you, you've got something going for you because eventually everybody's a Bitcoiner. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I don't think I can whether rely they on like that. it or not. Yeah, yeah, I don't think I can rely on that. The company might die before that happens. But, so I think there's a there's a point to thinking about about it before. So. Justin, what are some of the big barriers that you're trying to overcome with the next release? Uh, I mean, so I think the biggest challenge is we're trying to build something that's never been done before on untested technology. So first of all, nobody uses Bitcoin and Lightning. Let's be honest. Like there's maybe my estimate in the world is maybe 10,000 people in the entire world use this stuff. Very small subset of people. So we have, like, let's just be honest with each other. Everyone thinks, like, oh, Bitcoin's taking over the world. Not yet. Not even close. So there's a very small subset of people building on this stuff. And then the way that we're trying to build these technical patterns, if you looked at our last blog post, we're trying to build this, like, Web 5 architecture that Jack Dorsey released and their whole team at Block. This stuff is super untested. And engineers have a hard time trying to build stuff that's never been built before. So trying to like describe to them like, hey, this is how it should work and we should try this out. That's probably one of my biggest challenges. And then Bitcoin has, you know, it, it's got this, this energy behind it that yes, people love Bitcoin, but there isn't really a story yet of why do you use Bitcoin, right? They, like no one, like I get the maxis, we all talk about it in a way that like, oh, it's obvious, but it's not obvious to the entire world yet. And I, this is a bit of a controversial thing to say, but I think Bitcoin needs its Bretton Woods agreement. I think it needs something. And if you guys don't know what the proxy of Bretton Woods was, was when the fiat dollar got pegged to oil and everyone that needed to buy oil had to use the dollar to do that. And that's where the dollar became the world's reserve currency. I think Bitcoin needs a moment like that where people, and we're talking about it up here, they, it, like everyone has to use Bitcoin for this thing. There has to be this actual utility value for it. I think that's the way that it's going to increase trajectory. And it's hard to build on. This stuff is not easy. And like nobody's really using it yet. If you have to guess, what will that, what will that moment be? I'd like us to be the killer Bitcoin use case, obviously, because I'm spending all my life force energy on it. I, like, I have this feeling that it will be because 
influential people want to use it, but I don't know. It could be his, could be his, could be any of ours. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, ultimately, you know, you have to start from the ground up and it's like, you know, what can you do with Bitcoin money that you can't do with, with debt money? And, and that is that you can settle it instantly. You can settle it instantly. That is the difference. And that, that's the difference that Lightning makes. There's a lot of uh, you know, technical problems that that, that, that solves, you know, that you, you literally cannot do with debt-based money. And so you know, uh, there's an interesting quote. Um, I guess it was Jeff Booth. I was, I was watching an interview he, he did the other day. And he said something like, um, Bitcoin over Lightning is the, the first money uh, that isn't bound by money velocity. And the reason is because it settles instantly. There's no time lag. So you can move it you know, a million times in a handful of seconds if you want to. And that fundamentally changes things. And we're still all collectively you know, sifting through businesses in the world to figure out where that, where that solves problems. My personal opinion is that telecom, real-time media, it's a perfect fit. That's, where, that's why I'm investing there. Right, yeah, it's like the instant settlement and also then the small, the ability to do these super small transaction sizes that you couldn't, can't, can't be supported on credit cards or other fiat networks. I think one, one really interesting um, you know, thing to, to think about is that today we may have a very small number of people using Lightning, but we have about 100 million people in the world with access to Lightning on the apps already on their phone. The biggest source of that being Cash App with 70 plus million users, but we got Paxful and Kraken and a bunch of others. Robinhood's planning to integrate it. So it does, it does kind of feel like we're, we're waiting for the killer app to show up. And when it does, it's like we have all the Tinder ready to go. You know, we're pouring oil on the fire and we get one match. And, and I think there's a, there's a real case to be made for like, uh, an app that quickly gets up to you know 10 million users because we have all these people who have lightning access haven't realized it yet don't really care about it yet but in the right context it might be really easy for them to switch over and go oh this makes sense um, I want to I want to ask you guys all about you know the the way users are using your apps today what has surprised you guys the most maybe we could go through uh, start with you Justin the number of communities people want to start. That was very surprising. Like, you know, with only about 2,700 creators, they created over 1,400 communities. So that was a big surprise. Like, I, I didn't think that people actually wanted to create their own destinations on the web. I thought they just wanted to follow the most influential people. That was a big surprise. And then just transaction volume. I mean, we did 120,000 transactions in the first six months of the business. I didn't even think people wanted to give each other sats. Like, I didn't know. Like, I didn't think it was going to be a thing. It's a thing. People want to do it. So the question becomes in our, like, next version that we're trying to launch in October, how can we accelerate that transaction volume? How can we build a system that makes it much faster to transact um, and send money quicker with just user actions inside the UI UX? Those are the two things that surprised me. What was the most surprising thing for you, Lyle? Uh, honestly, I think it's been the amount of sort of business development messaging traffic. So like, you know, I've messaging, sending messages has been by far and away the most popular thing so far. Not so many video calls, you know, a good amount of streams. I uh, FaceTime you once. Yeah, I did, he, he, I well, I was like on a run. Yeah, <laughs> I, was, I was like, 
10 sats a minute. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah. It's great. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of surprising. Like, I'll see messaging traffic and, like, look at user stats that have received messages and just reach out to them and be like, well, you know, what, what are people messaging you about? And a lot of times it's like, oh, well, you know, they, they work in Bitcoin and I wanted to see if I could set up a call with them, you know, to talk to them about XYZ. You know, it's a totally reasonable use case, um, you know, for, for monetizing your time and it seems to be what people want to do. So do you think this is going to be big for, uh, like, consultants and people paid by the hour? Is that going to be... Yeah, I, I mean, you know, imagine, like, you're, you're some dude that works in some software enterprise like, uh, you know, let's say Cisco. And, you know, you're like a mid-level exec and you get people trying to sell you shit all the time, right? 24-7, you're getting emails, you're getting phone calls, you're getting all this stuff. And, you know, I sell software and I'm trying to target this person in Cisco with, you know, with, with my software so that he'll, you know, buy my, buy my software. So what are my options? I can, you know, try to get his email address and target him with, like, LinkedIn ads, you know, and spend maybe, you know, two or three thousand dollars and maybe he clicks them and you know reaches out you know I can do the same thing on Facebook you know I can cold call him and annoy him or you know if he's got a Vita account and he's set a price for his time maybe it's five hundred dollars an hour to talk on the phone but somebody can call him immediately and get his attention with 100% certainty and know for sure if he's gonna buy the product or not and it's way more efficient than you know hoping that somebody clicks an ad Question on that. Does the, does the company get the $500 or does he personally? In, in this case, he personally. But, you know, we have had quite a few people that said, well, you know, what if I wanted to set up a company account where, like, I, my employees have Vita accounts and then they're getting, you know, a split and the company's getting a split or something like that. So, you know, it's an idea we're exploring. Kind of like split payments on the Fountain app, honestly. Right. Kian, what's been the most surprising thing for you seeing Stacker News grow? Um, I think that there isn't a lot of resistance to as, as much resistance to spending when people are earning. I mean, this isn't this isn't like a huge like economic insight, I guess, because it's exactly how uh, most B2B companies make money is they they allow people to make more money using their product than they would if they hadn't. So they can charge, you know, that margin. I think that's that's kind of it is that. That these are micro economies. They're 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 still economies. All the incentives are the same. They're just tinier. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like if you uh, spend a couple of years printing a lot of money and airdropping it to everyone in the world, they're going to spend it, right? Yeah. If you give people money, they'll they'll figure out a way to use it. For sure. Um, I want to finish off with one last question. If if we zoom out here and think about the impact that earning Bitcoin and slinging Bitcoin along the Lightning Network is going to have on the world. What do you think this does to existing internet business models and how do we make this transition from where we are today, where it's just a niche group of, of people building on Lightning and building on Bitcoin, to uh, a time where, where there's billions of people using this? What happens along that way to the existing business models that rule the internet today? They get destroyed, hopefully. Um, I think that, like all cycles, um, there has to be hopefully a new breed. Um, what I'm hopeful for, I think some of the smartest people in the world that I know have entered the general category that we're in, which is decentralizing money. Um, I think the opportunity also is we're getting to an age of that peer-to-peer -peer economics matter. I think ultimately all this stuff, if you look at NFTs, if you look at 
crypto, whatever, and then Bitcoin, it's a, it's a, it's a journey in peer-to-peer value exchange. It's like I can give you something and I can do it across the web and it could be instant. I think that to me is a really interesting new incentive that takes out the arbiter. We're, we've entered since the iPhone, we've entered the age of decentralization and we've moved outside the century of centralization that started with FDR and all of these are the elements of it. So now some of these companies that are ruling had, had come in at the end of the centralized era or has just been started at the beginning of the decentralized era. So Facebook got started at the last, the last cycle of the centralized era. And now we've entered this new decentralized cycle. So I think decentralized apps will hopefully rule for the next 100 years in this cycle. And then there'll be something else that comes back. But I think it requires the ultimate demise of these other systems. We, we need to destroy them and all we can do. Lyle, and not be un- unapologetic about it. <laughs> Lyle, in the uh, telecom industry, who gets disrupted first? How does that unfold? Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, d- just to step back for a second and think broadly. I mean, I think it's a pendulum. You know, I don't think ad-based businesses, you know, and traditional businesses are going to disappear, but the pendulum is definitely going to swing. You know, right now, ad-based businesses are ridiculously, um, <laughs> you know, too big. You know, why why uh, is Facebook able to generate so much revenue, leeching your attention? You know, so you know, do do business models like that disappear? Probably not. Does more shift into real-time value settlement, giving people value for the value that they produce? Yeah, I absolutely do do think that it does. Uh, but to get to your point on telecom, I mean, you know, telecom settlement is a forty billion dollar a year business globally, um, and it's terrible. You know, <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's really really bad. Trust me. Um, what is you telecom know, settlement for? It's well, let's imagine you know you're calling a phone number. You're in Japan and you need to make somebody's phone ring in the United States. That call goes through about eight different intermediaries that all have 60-day settlement periods between one another, and it's all built on trust because they don't trust that you will pay them. Because I mean, a, a, a traditional phone call is a form of value transfer because it actually costs money. And on the other end, somebody might be paid for that phone call. Think like, you know, high cost area codes in like Utah, you know, or whatever, right? Um, so it, it's, a, it's a really big industry. I think Lightning's absolutely going to change it. Uh, everything we're building behind the scenes is also applicable to telecom settlement. I mean, you know, if you do a video call on Vita, it's actually a SIP call behind the scenes, which is interoperable with any telecom network in the world. So. I mean, I, I definitely think it's going to go there. It's going to take some time, though. Kian, what do you think? Uh, if Stacker News gets to millions or, or billions of, of users, what does that do to Reddit, Hacker News, similar forums? Do they also jump in and adopt Lightning? How does that all unfold? I don't really know. I, I think, you know, maybe maybe they adapt and change. I think it does. There will be perhaps like a younger generation of user or perhaps a user who doesn't want doesn't want their privacy taken from them to get a product for free maybe they they appreciate this new paradigm or maybe they appreciate getting paid instead of getting effectively like stolen from it's not it's not it's like hard to quantify how much your privacy is stolen but getting stolen from I don't. I don't really know, but I, I mean, I suspect. I suspect things change, and so that's that's about as as much as I'm confident to say. 
So there you have it. Is value for value the future, a future, or a business model, this DOA? I'm interested to know what you think. If you want to try out the Fountain app, send me a boost with a comment. Otherwise, you can find me on Twitter at Joshua Friedman, or you can send me an email at info at bizbitshow.com. As always, keep building, keep growing, and until next time, keep living and leading well. If you're a regular listener of the podcast, thank you. If you want to take a further step in your support for the show, you can help us grow by listening on Fountain, a value-for-value podcast app on iOS or Android. If you hear something you like that you disagree with or anything else, you can share it by sending some sats and adding a comment with your thoughts. Some of you have already done this, and I appreciate it. I'm going to begin reading your boosts on upcoming episodes, so if you have some insight or value to add, let the people know. Getting started with Fountain is easy. You can add Bitcoin to your Fountain wallet by using your fiat accounts or any lightning wallet and one of my favorite features is that once you're using the app you can earn stats just by listening on fountain check out the link in the show notes to get started with fountain today